Thanks, church. Um, I'm, I'm super excited for today. Um, take your Bible, whether it's your actual one or one on your phone. Would you open it to Matthew and go to chapter 28, please? Matthew chapter 28. I'd like to read the passage that we're going to spend a little time in this morning, and then we're going to double back uh, and kind of take it a couple of verses at a time. Okay, Matthew chapter 28. These are the words of Jesus right here. And uh, important ones, they might be familiar to uh, many of you. Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You ever think about uh, the amount of things that have uh, come and gone in your lifetime? I realize there's different lengths of lifetime in this room or uh, part of our online family or maybe out in the Ramada there, but uh, just think about the things that maybe when you were a kid, you really enjoyed that are either like making their way to non-existence or they're already gone. There's so many things, uh, pop culture things, material possessions that we used to have and enjoy that we don't. Uh, anymore, or pretty soon we, we won't. I made a list of uh, some of them and see, this will kind of date you. Uh, if you can remember these things or not, or if you're on the younger end, then you'll have to elbow the person next to you who's old and say, what's that? Okay, uh, a floppy disk. Remember the floppy disk? And then the not so floppy disk, the smaller version came a little bit uh, later. Uh, you remember the rotary phone, that was fantastic. If you had fat fingers, it would not fit in the hole. And then you'd have to dial it. It would ro rotate all the way back around. Um, a roll of film. Much less than having to go get your film developed. See, that's a double whammy for some of you. You don't have a clue what film is. And then to have to go wait, turn it in, and then come back 10 days later. Waiting is something that doesn't exist anymore either. Uh, oh, this is a good one. Um, do you remember when you actually had to, in the car, crank the window to make it go down? Even in the crummiest car, brand new, that they sell today, you still just go, brrp, and it comes down. But back then, this was the deal. This was where everybody had the most fun uh, cranking. You can tell it was wonderful days. Um, a pager. Oh, you remember the pager? That was a blip on the radar right between the giant cell phone. It was about this big. And uh, before we got the little Nokia brick phone that everybody had, there was a stage in there with the pager. And that was pre-text uh, message. You, you had that, enjoyed that. The Sony Walkman. That was enjoyable. Uh, the yellow pages. <laughs> Remember those? And yet, for some reason, in Prescott, Arizona, every single year, they still drive by and throw one of those things in our driveway. 
And I think of it every single, who in the world is still using yellow pages when you've got Google? It's completely unnecessary. Um, oh, this was nice. Do you remember your car ashtray? Apparently people were smoking so much in the car that you would fill an entire tray full of ashes because you couldn't wait to get out or whatever. Uh, cassette tapes, Morris the Cat, Spud McKenzie, come on. These are fantastic. I remember and enjoyed the ABC, ABC after school specials. That was a mainstay of my childhood, coming home after school, watch Rob Lowe or somebody on some sort of after school special. Remember 1-800 numbers? Remember long distance? What in the world's long distance? Now you just call, it doesn't matter. Everything's the, the same. Um, I enjoyed uh, cursive, a thing of the past. If you don't know what cursive is, it's because you're really young. And now you can barely print anymore. Remember busy signals. What happened to busy? We don't even have busy signals anymore. I, I'm, I'm 46 years old, so the, the majority of my upbringing was all through the 1980s. And I'll tell you what I love about the 80s was the complete uh, ability to still get lost. You could get lost in the 80s. Now you can't get lost because you got a phone with a GPS and sat nav and all that stuff that can get you wherever you... I liked getting lost. I liked being a typical guy and never asking for directions. That was something I missed about the 80s. I also missed in the 80s, there was absolutely no car safety whatsoever. I remember driving around in the back window of our car or on the floorboard of the car. I certainly was not strapped into some sort of NASA approved helmet and harness that my kids now have to sit in until they're 17 or 250 pounds. It, 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 was, it was the best of, of times. I really enjoyed being totally unreachable. Can I get an amen or a right on or a woohoo for that? Because that's gone along with the 80s. There was a moment in time there where if you left the house, nobody could get you because you didn't have the phone. You, you weren't next to your phone. You didn't have a computer. I, I love that. The 80s were fabulous. I love the 80s secondhand smoke. Oh, man. See, we got an amen right from secondhand smoke. You go, I didn't want to smoke myself, but the secondhand, that was just about as good, you know? And you could go into restaurants, what they ask, smoking or non. You get on an airplane and you could sit in a non-smoking or a smoking section in one singular sealed tube <laughs> as if the smoke wasn't going to get back to you in your section. I could bike without a helmet in the 80s. And uh, that was, it's obvious. I, I uh, crashed and I have epilepsy as a result, so maybe that wasn't such a good thing. You could show up unannounced at somebody's house back in the 80s because you couldn't always get them, so you just drive over to their house. We don't do that today. Today, you pull into your neighborhood, you press your garage door opener button before you even get to your garage. You drive in, and before you get out of the car, you press the button again to seal you in to keep you from having to interact with any other human beings. I, it's... it's I don't know which is better, now or then. How many of you uh, remember waterbeds? 
How many of you are still paying chiropractor bills from sleeping in water beds? I liked hanging out at shopping malls in the 80s. Our shopping mall is a real hit today. And, uh, but that was the hotbed. I, I loved, this was great. If you're young, you have no clue what this is. But young people, listen to me. When I was young, I got to play outside unsupervised. I didn't, I didn't, I had nobody watching me. There were no helicopter parents. There were no lawnmower parents. There was no parents. It was wonderful. I just did whatever I want. Four years old. Hey, I'm out of here, mom. I'm going to go get some secondhand smoke and listen to my Walkman. And she said, that's fine. Just be back by dinner. I said, okay. And everything, it was the way the world worked. It was fantastic. Today, uh, we've got vaping. Today, we've got uh, uh, streaming videos. Today, we have uh, modern electric cars. Today, we've got smartphones. Today, we've got instant access to anything, anywhere. We'll see what of those things remains. But of all the different things that have come and gone in our lifetimes, I will tell you with every fiber of my being, one thing that I feel a deep conviction about is that discipleship cannot be one of the things that is a passing fad or a trend. Discipleship is not one of the things that can be here 50 years ago and not here today. To follow Jesus, to be an apprentice of his, to be discipling others and be discipled by others is something that must remain generation after generation after generation. It's part of God's plan that it would. And you and I play a very crucial, important part in that journey. It's common knowledge today that basically it only takes three generations for something to be lost. Whether it's a financial windfall, or oral tradition, or certain values, it's typical for it only to take three generations until it's completely lost. From grandparent to grandchild, something can be lost. Let us not be the generation that fails to pass the baton of the teachings of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ through discipleship. Jesus gave us the means to pass on his teachings from generation to generation to generation, and it's called discipleship. And discipleship was never meant for just a select few who feel like doing it. Discipleship is a commission that every single one of us have as followers of Jesus. Quite simply today, here's the point, disciples make other disciples. To be a disciple of Jesus is therefore to make other disciples. And so let's get really good in these next weeks and months at asking ourselves a grace, this isn't condemnation if you haven't been into it, then we just start today, okay? 
But going forward, what we're going to start to ask each other in our life groups or in our relationships around here, when you come and you go, let's get really good at asking each other, hey, who are you discipling? Get really good at asking, hey, who's discipling you? And the more that becomes a part of our lingo, the more that it becomes a part of our culture, which it should be in the first place, because this was one of the most clear things regarding discipleship that Jesus commanded us to do. Look at back at verse 16 and 17 in Matthew chapter 28. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is resurrected. He's made appearances to a whole bunch of people. The overwhelming majority of the disciples have seen him by this point. They've already had some interaction with him. And then they've planned a meeting place back in Galilee. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The 11 disciples go back to Galilee. A huge portion of the ministry and the teachings of Jesus had taken place in the region of the Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. It was a favorite place of Jesus and uh, called many of the disciples there. Lots of ministry and teaching there. And they'd already arranged this. After the resurrection, we're going to meet back up. And we're going to meet in the Galilee. And in a kind of interesting way, that location tied them to Jesus' ministry and teaching prior to the cross and the resurrection. And so when they meet back up, it's another way of just kind of establishing, hey, the risen Jesus and his teachings and ministry are just a continuation of the ministry that he had in Galilee. And and this ministry, it's not a substitute for, it's not a different chapter now. This is the ongoing ministry of Jesus, now completely revolutionized as he's resurrected from the dead. And it says, when they saw him, the resurrected Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And if you get into the original language there, the word doubted there probably doesn't mean disbelief. It meant something more like hesitant. They they, they worshipped him, many worshipped, but some were a little hesitant. And you could imagine why. I mean, Jesus was nailed to the cross and then he went into the tomb. And probably they're not referring to some of the 11 who've doubted because they've already been interacting with the risen Jesus. The sum here is probably reacting to, uh, responding to other people, more crowds, other followers that had been um, following them over to the Galilee region. And there were some that are hesitant. And, And what's true here in this moment is still true today. You know that when you present Jesus with someone, if you're going to make disciples of someone else, then really, other than the relationship that you built, Making another disciple starts with the gospel. It it starts with the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and what he's called us to. And when we present Jesus, some people are going to give their life over to him. Other people are going to hesitate. Some people are going to receive him and it may take some time. 
Other people are going to hesitate. They're going to have some doubts and some struggles because is Jesus really who he said he was, the son of God? Or is he just this nice guy, a good teacher, a a rabbi, a carpenter? Who is this guy? And, And so when we are making disciples and sharing the gospel, just keep that in mind, okay? Because it's not your job to uh, convince someone. It's not your job to change someone's heart. That's all God's job. And so our job is to love people the way that Jesus did and then share the truth of what God's word says with them. And then there will be some that receive it and then some that don't. And you just keep loving and having conversations as long as the Lord has you in their life. I love this image here because the cross and the empty tomb and the resurrection are the center of the gospel. When you start to think about making disciples of other people, you know, it it, it gets a little overwhelming because you go, gosh, I don't know all the answers. I don't know everything that the Bible says. I don't even really know where I'd begin. I totally understand that. So start with Jesus. Start with the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection. If you lose your way, or I don't know how to bring this up or that up or share with him or her, think about Jesus. Come back to the cross. Come back to the empty tomb. Come back to the resurrection. And all that those things mean. And just have a conversation and why that's affected you and and see what then that does with, with other people as you have the opportunity to have those discussions. I love what Jesus says next in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, guys, all authority, above and below, I have all authority, ultimate authority over all things, all places, all circumstances. that's That's a wonderful statement. And did you know that when you've got authority, it means that you get to pick who you hand off pieces of the work or the mission to. And so the one who's got all authority, ultimate authority over everything, he's got the permission to choose who he's gonna send to continue the work of the ministry, to continue the spreading of the gospel. And how humbling or how energizing Is it for your heart to hear that the one almighty God who has all authority to choose who he wants to pick to continue the spread of the ministry of all the people that he could have picked, he picked you. He picked me. And it's not because we're real qualified. (laughs) Look at his guys. They were not the who's who. They weren't the smartest. They weren't the best looking. They weren't the most influential. They weren't the most talented. 
They were ordinary, unschooled guys who just spent time with Jesus. So don't tell me, I don't have the background or the education or the gifting or whatever. You got Jesus, you've got a transformed story, you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's all you need to start. And all authority has been given. It's, it's delegated then over. You're sitting under the one who has all authority. So that's huge because now I don't appeal to any higher authority. I don't look to any other authority or power. I look to Jesus for everything. It's also comforting because he's got all the authority. That means in my boneheaded days, in my sinful moments, in my powerlessness, in my weakness, because he's got all authority, my weakness doesn't slow down the progress of the kingdom of Almighty God. Because it's still in his hands. Now I may miss out on a tremendous amount of years of God using me, but it's not gonna thwart his plan, he'll just go a different direction. And maybe you look back and you go, gosh, I, I really have missed the season here or several years here, or didn't really catch the words of Jesus here. Okay, that's fine. I don't really care what age you are. I wanna ask you the question, who are you discipling right now? Who's discipling you? This is key to what it is to be a disciple. If you're a parent, and we ask the question, who are you discipling right now? I would hope that you would answer my children. Big news flash. The church is not the primary disciplers of your children. You are. The church plays a part. Even my own, my own boys. I just asked a couple weeks ago, can I disciple you? They've been growing up in a culture, a home, uh, where they've caught stuff and maybe learned stuff. But even me, I want to sit down and, and actually disciple them now that they're eighth and ninth grade. Maybe you're in eighth or ninth grade. You know, there's little guys, little girls around this church that need to be discipled and they look up to you way more than they look up to anybody else. You've got something to offer. You got kids that are grown. It's never too late. Maybe it's not your children. Who are you discipling? Pray that God would bring one person. One, just one. If he brings more, great. Just one, let's start with one. And if you yourself need to be discipled, then seek that person out. And you yourself be discipled. That's what disciples do. Verse 19 and 20. Jesus says, in light of this authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Therefore, go and make disciples. Go. Uh, that, that means go. Go. That means get up. That, that means uh, you might physically have to move. 
That means a, a phrase that I can't repeat in church. It means get up off and go. But you, you, you're, you're active in it. If you kind of had to reduce the Christian life down to any other thing besides what Chris Simning taught about last week, just abiding in Christ, as far as any activity on our part's concerned, I would say making disciples would be at the top of the list for us. So who are you discipling? And I'll tell you, when you get excited about that, when you get excited about going and making disciples, there's nothing like making disciples, getting up and going to shift the focus off of you and onto somebody else. I've even seen people that have a broken, uh, struggling life. They struggle with a particular sin or whatever. And we talk about, okay, find somebody to disciple. You know why that's so good? Because if you get tempted and fall to that temptation, then you've got something to lose. If you've got eight or nine kids looking up to you or two or three friends looking to you and you struggle with a particular thing and the temptation comes and you fast forward in your mind and you start thinking about, oh my goodness, not only will it break God's heart, not only will it wreck a little bit of my relationship with him for a while, I'm gonna have to go in and tell the person I'm discipling X, Y, and Z. I don't wanna do that. God uses all of that really to help keep us on track. Or in the moments where you do fail, God uses that too in your discipleship of somebody else. Because God's grace and God's mercy is something people need to hear about a ton. And the forgiveness that he afforded you and that you can still come alongside someone and say, here's where I went sideways and here's the consequences that came, but look, here now. Look what he did. I could have kept going this direction, but I repented. I turned back toward him and he rescued me. He wrote my story. He can do the same thing in you. People need you to go and make disciples. There's some lingo that you've heard with the word go here that's really referring to as you are going. Kind of just as you're uh, going about your day, going about your work, going about your relationship, that you make disciples. So whether it's an actual get up and go, or it's as you're going through your life, it really doesn't matter. It's still a command from Jesus to get up and go, or as you're going through your life, make disciples. And disciples are characterized by these two things here, amongst others, being baptized and being taught. Disciples get baptized. Now, they, they get brought into the family. They go through the literal act of baptism but then that's that public declaration of what Jesus has done in your life. And you get baptized, you get brought into the family, baptized and in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, it's one God. But I like that when it's spelled out, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I think by adding Son and Holy Spirit, and not just saying in the name of God, 
It's just that reminder that the Son and the Holy Spirit are not just the redneck stepchildren of the Trinity, but they are very nature God. One God, three distinct persons with these distinct roles that they play. But then we're also taught. Disciples are taught. They're taught God's word. They're instructed in God's word. And that's huge for me and you. Basically, Jesus is just saying to his disciples, I want you as my disciples to go make others what you yourself already are. And that's the same for me and you. If you're a disciple of Jesus, then he's called you to go make of others what you are. You're a member of a covenant community who's submitted to the lordship of Jesus. That's a good definition for a Christian, a good definition for a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's a good definition of the church. That we're members of a covenant relationship. A promise that God has made between us and him. And he always holds up to his promises. And we're a part of this covenant community together. And we all together are under the umbrella or the lordship or the rule of Jesus Christ. I put myself under him gladly. And so when we go about making disciples, they're just saying, hey, come uh, under the lordship of Jesus. He's in the driver's seat of your life, not you. And you're a part of this community that is now a covenant relationship with God. It's a family. If you're taking any notes, just three brief things. If you're considering making disciples, here are three things that I think are key. One, we got to make disciples by doing it intentionally. We make disciples intentionally. You know, people can get rescued by Jesus. They can get saved kind of uh, in, in a fluke or weird set of circumstances. But rarely is a disciple of Jesus Christ made by accident. And so when he says go and make disciples, he's wanting us to be very intentional, that we would go and make disciples. We'd go be intentional about finding people to disciple me or me disciple them. We must be intentional about it. Otherwise, it's, it's just not gonna happen. When we make disciples too, we, we do it by passing on the, the teachings and the way, the manner of Jesus. Again, there's so much in the scripture, old all the way through New Testament. But again, you can come back to the cross, you can come back to the tomb, you can come back to the resurrection. You come back to the person and the work and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. And we make disciples by just passing on the things that Jesus taught and passing along the, the manner and the ethic and the heart of Jesus, that it would affect us. 
So we do it intentionally. We do it by passing on the teachings in the way of Jesus. And then third, we do it relationally. We make disciples relationally. You build relationship and then share the gospel. And then once they step into that relationship with Jesus, you walk them through a journey where they would learn to obey what Jesus has commanded. See, these things here that Jesus gave us were not just abstract concepts. This was content that he gave me and you to live out. We were meant to live this out, not just learn it up. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Who are you discipling? Who can you disciple? Who's discipling you? You know the words that Jesus gave us here, they stand the test of time. There's no trends in what he's teaching. There's no passing fad to what he's teaching. Is it mind blowing that the stuff that he penned 2000 years ago, much less the stuff that is older than that in the Old Testament, still has relevance to us today? It speaks to just about every single aspect of our hearts and our lives and the things that we face. That's why this is one of those things that's never going to be like a Walkman or busy signals. It's because it's the, the eternal word of God that's got relevance in any culture at any moment in history to the very end of the age. That means for successive generations to have the teachings of Jesus passed along to them is called discipleship. And I love that he wraps up this thought, the last part of verse 20, not with a command, but with some comfort. And here's the comfort that Jesus gave his disciples that he gives to you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I'm with you always, he says. His authority is gonna be with you always. His spirit will reside in you always. This thing gets, that, that word from Jesus right there, the enemy tests my trust in that a lot. I don't always feel that way. But I gotta come back and say, okay, you said it, Lord. I don't always feel you, I don't always see you. I've tried to disciple this person, it's not working. Uh, I, I tried to share with this person, that didn't pan out too well. I've seen what's going on with uh, this person in the family or that person. And that can cause, gosh, what in the world's going on? But I can also tell stories of the times where I, I can honestly tell you when the Lord was with me. I'm sitting down and I'm trying to disciple somebody or have a conversation about Jesus with somebody and they ask a question that I don't know the answer to and all of a sudden, here comes the verse. Here comes the answer and I go, I didn't study that. I haven't thought about that in 15 years or 
It's because he's with me and the Holy Spirit pulls up stuff that got planted in me at some point years ago. And even when I don't have the answer, like we said before, it's always okay to say, I don't know, but I'll find out and tell you next week. And trusting that God's a way better shepherd of his people than I will ever be, than you will ever be. So when they don't get all the answers from you, there's the Holy Spirit, there's God Almighty that's still wanting to minister, still will minister even when you're not there with them. My favorite thing about this with disciple making is that you don't ever do it alone. It might feel like it, but the Lord's always there with me and you. Sometimes it takes a really long time. You know, I'm praying for a friend of mine that I've had since kindergarten who still doesn't know Jesus. I haven't been actively involved in his life or sharing for quite a while now, but even saying it, it's another prompt to be praying for him and reach out. But that's all in the Lord's timing and the Lord's, I just do my part. Close with this true story. A dear friend of mine in the church uh, emailed me this story about his grandfather a couple of weeks ago. In his early life, my grandfather was a drunk, a thief, and a womanizer. I'm told that he would steal so that he could buy whiskey so that he could party with women. Even though he was married with six children, he was often seen drinking and partying with other women. His reputation in the small community where he lived was such that he earned the nickname of Slick because he seemed to be a no-good person who got away with everything. On the other hand, my grandmother was a wonderful Christian. No matter how much my grandfather strayed, she never stopped praying for him. In the days when churches held revival meetings that often lasted for a week or more, one such revival came to the small town where my grandparents lived. One night of the revival, my grandfather and his friends were drinking and decided it would be much fun to go to the revival meeting and make fun of the speaker. They sat in the back and during the sermon would jump up and loudly say, praise the Lord or hallelujah. They laughed and mocked. That same week, my grandfather was walking home from one of the manual labor jobs he sporadically held. While walking all alone, he had what he later described as an experience similar to Paul's Damascus Road meeting with Jesus. My grandfather says he was physically struck down and lay face down on the dirt road. Somehow he knew God was speaking to him. The next night, he went to the revival service and when the speaker gave the invitation for any who wanted to be saved to come forward, my grandfather rose and went down the aisle because of his reputation and the fun they had had at the speaker's expense a few nights before, his friends and family thought this was another one of his pranks. But they were wrong. My grandfather immediately turned from a life of blatant sin to a life devoted to following Christ. And then catch this. In the years to come, he led all of his brothers and sisters to Christ. He was later ordained as a pastor and pastored a small church for most of the rest of his life. 
That was the only grandfather I ever knew. Until a few years ago, the Robinson family held a family reunion every two years. The last one I attended saw more than 80 family members in attendance. They were his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and their spouses. The vast majority of those family members are dedicated Christ followers primarily due to the influence and example of my grandfather. The hero of this story, though, is not just my grandfather. The title also belongs to my grandmother, who never stopped praying and never gave up hope. Disciples of Jesus make other disciples. Even if it just means at the start, just praying for someone, loving them, and then taking those next steps to help them come to understand the full scope of who Jesus is, and then walking through thick and thin through them to be a tangible representation of Jesus when they need it most. In the name of an almighty God, do it. And so Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this church and these precious people. I pray for those that are here that desperately just need to be discipled, that you would help us connect them with the right people. Pray for those that are looking for someone to disciple. Would you lay someone on their heart this week, just one person maybe, that they can reach out to and begin to walk with them time with Jesus and the word. Father, thank you that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That was true when you came in flesh on earth 2,000 years ago and it's still true today, just in a different form. Strengthen us, help us, Guide us as we try to be faithful to what you've called us to do in making other disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.